Ankles are hit when the leg is washed. Feet, I'm pretty laissez-faire about. Wow. Wow. I My well, feet smell great. I have no smell get issues. Get down off of your high horse, Mr. Shower Purity Man. Get down because your feet are sick. No. Because you never wash them. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Mark, welcome to the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Thank you. I got a question for you. Do you brush your teeth in the shower? No, never. Do you shave in the shower? I will tell you without you even having to ask. I do nothing in the shower except shampoo my head and wash my body. And then you're out. Yeah, I don't do I don't do shaving. Um, occasionally, I think a good shower beer is is kind of a fun way. To, shower you know, beer? To, yes. But that's that's for another topic, another Friday maybe. You gave your answer emphatically. Do you have, is there some value that you have about what you will or won't do with hot water running on your face? I'm just gonna say it. I am I am very opposed. I'm very opposed to those who pee in the shower. And if you ask a group of people, I think it's appalling to me. But my my straw poll has shown that about eighty percent of people do not share this value with me. Whoa, that is a hot take. And you really came out of left field there. I didn't, I didn't know we were going to go there. Well, that's why, that's why I wanted to be so clear with what I do in the shower, because I was asked in a group last week and I was the only one who said, no, that's not what I use my shower for. So I I thought, I thought you were going to eventually get there. I just, no, not at all. It feels like that's my place for clean cleanliness, cleanliness, uh, not for any sort of. But but toothbrushing is about cleanliness. Yeah, but I don't spit my. I don't know, man. Oh, there's a weird peccadillo where we've discovered here. I don't. If you brush your teeth in the shower, that doesn't gross me out. It's just not something I do. I oh, think good. I would have to put my toothbrush on the shower counter. I use no. an electric toothbrush these days, so I don't know if it's waterproof. Um, it is. Yeah, I don't know. Fascinating. Yeah. I do like to shave right after I get out of the shower when everything's nice and of soft. Of course you do. Soft and heated. Yeah. yeah. Tell, me, tell me why you asked me this, Stephen. Well, I asked because, I don't know, I think of you as an um, efficiency guy. I like both shaving and brushing my teeth in the shower because I feel like it takes care of everything at the same time. And uh, I was going to ask if there was a, if there is a process, my, here's my next question. How do you in the shower, how do you wash your ankles or the bottom of your feet? Do you bend your body squat down to get to your ankles and feet? I consider them washed by runoff. That, that's fine. Oh, you never touch them. I mean, if I need to, I'll get the, I'll get the scrubber sponge. And I think if, I think this is extremely uninteresting content, but. I, I oh, would... you've got my attention right now. I can't, I, I, I can't believe Mr. Clean. It's a oh, left I, foot. It's a pure, it's a pure, this. it's a pure experience in the shower. No, no, that's not what you said. You said, I consider them clean just because they're at, at the bottom of the org chart. So they're going to get spill off and they're magically automatically clean. Your feet are the one, one of the most disgusting parts of your body. What are you talking on... about? Are you talking about? So, I mean, the ankles are, are hit when the leg is washed. So I guess I'm I bend asking over. You, how do you clean your ankles and feet? That's what I asked. Okay. Ankles are hit when the leg is washed. Feet, I'm pretty laissez-faire about. Wow. Wow. I, my well, feet smell great. I have no smell Get issues. down off of your high horse, Mr. Shower Purity Man. Get down because your feet are sick. 
No. Because you never wash them. This might be one of those things where there's good bacteria. You just cross your know. fingers and hope that everything takes care of itself. I don't have smelly feet. I don't have smelly wow. shoes. So this might be kind of like you know the the bacteria in the gut that's good maybe that's true of my feet it's got healthy healthy stuff that keeps them smelling fresh yeah right i didn't okay. like this segment no no you didn't come out smelling like a rose from this hilarious segment, I don't think. hilarious Okay. I, I don't know if you're gonna you're gonna accept this as an orator's corner, but I thought I might bring us a quick oh. a quick oration. Oh, please. Cue because the I, cue the oration music. I ran across a hymn this week that maybe you you listeners are all super familiar with. I did not know it until this week. How did you run across this hymn? Um I think some snarky reformed person on Twitter was, was saying if you're if you're really bold, you'll sing this one in church this week or something. Yeah, and, so and drink I was bourbon. Like, yeah, I wanted to know what it said, and um, they were right, Stephen. It, it's it's pretty awesome. So I think when I was reading it, I thought this could be a speech. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a hymn slash oration. So let me okay. just read it to you. It is called "The Son of God Goes Forth to War." by Reginald Heber, written in 1812. I like it so far. The Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar, who follows in his train? Who best can drink his cup of woe, triumphant over pain? Who patient bears his cross below, he follows in his train? The martyr first, whose eagle eye could pierce beyond the grave, who saw his master in the sky and called on him to save. Like him with pardon on his tongue in midst of mortal pain, he prayed for them that did the wrong, who follows in his train. A glorious band, the chosen few on whom the spirit came, twelve valiant saints, their hope they knew and mocked the cross and flame. They met the tyrant's brandished steel, the lion's gory mane. They bowed their necks, the death to feel who follows in their train a noble army men and boys the matron and the maid around the savior's throne rejoice in robes of light arrayed they climbed the steep ascent of heaven through peril toil and pain O god to us may grace be given to follow in their train the end yeah very strong that's a power hymn yeah it is I don't know. It stuck out to me, and I thought, I want to share this on our podcast. I so. wonder if the music carries that that uh, potency. If you go check on Spotify or your streaming service of choice, you can find a bazillion versions of this. The really old ones are a little bit, you know, kind of yeah. rough organs and 200-person yeah. choir. But there's some cool recent uh versions that really nail it and can you recommend one well yes i can the the one that i really dug was by it says anthems of grace ellie may dickinson so ellie okay. may is the main vocalist and she's snappy and cutting with her guitar and what, what wasn't she the sister of the clampets on the beverly hillbillies the pretty ellie one may? well I don't remember. She was Ellie May. That would be a great hymn to sing around November 1, which is All Saints Day. I like to commemorate All Saints Day. Yes, we talked about this we, in our holidays episode. Yes, very recently. And that would be a good hymn for that day. Agreed. The main, the main meat on the entree of Abraham's wallet today is part two of our little uh, review of how to train your children around stewardship of money. Right. So last time that we were talking about this, we, we got into why would you even want to do this? What, what, why is yeah. it important? Uh, I think we covered the idea of training in general, which is a lost art in the parenting world these days. Yeah. Um, 
And then we talked about training and money and the fact that if you just give your kids a little bit of training, they're a million miles ahead of everyone else in the world because there's no training out there and the things they're taught by culture are directly opposite to the wisdom of scripture when it comes to True. stewarding dollars. True. And we promised that we would come at you with some tips and tactics. So this week we've got some big, biggish issues to kind of talk about, but then we also have some quick tips, some shots in the arm that you could use right away with your kids. Okay. As we said, the training of children with regards to money is such a lost art that it might be helpful for parents simply to read up on the, the big, the big picture idea of doing that. So I'd like to recommend a couple of books that people might want to read. They will get your they'll get your juices flowing regarding, okay, th this is a way that, um, yeah, I could see how this could apply to my family or this, this would be a good idea. Um, the first one is Dave Ramsey. Um, he wrote a book with his daughter called smart kids, smart money. And it's a very easy read. It's a 30,000 foot view, um, of it's really written to parents. Um, why is this necessary? What are some ways that we can think about what do we want to build into our kids? So for instance, generosity, we want to build that into them and then some explanation as to why, um, a book that I have personally used, which sits before me now is raising financially fit kids by Jolene Godfrey. Um, and raising financially fit kids does something that I think is very helpful um, the main hunk of the book is about what they call financial apprenticeship. And it walks through five stages of growing up your kids. Um, so stage one is ages five to eight. Stage two is ages nine to 12, 13 to 15, 16 to 18, and 19 plus. I think that's helpful because, because it tells you what kind of activities are helpful for kids at different stages giving them responsibility, um, um, putting the burden on them to give, et cetera. So I wanted to recommend those right off the top because they are, they're big picture books and, uh, that might be helpful to somebody to, to grab one of those. That's awesome. I, I will throw two other books that I think are really good to read, but not necessarily books you're going to hand to your kids. The first I mentioned last week, it's called The Millionaire Next Door, and go read it. It's full of interesting it's about the barber. data that describe the, the millionaires in America, and that number is a little outdated now because this book was written, I think, in the early 90s, so it uh, having a million dollars in the early 90s was more money than it is now, but yeah. um, the other one is called The Richest Man in Babylon. And it is a very old um, story of kind of ancient wisdom around money. And that's one that I had just recently handed to my daughter, who's 11, and she could completely grasp the concepts in there. It's mm. kind of cast as a conversation between um, two guys. I, I envision them in like the, the Acropolis reclining and eating some grapes and sharing wisdom about money with each other and telling stories to, to convey ideas. So that's another good one. And you'll find it on the list of most financial sort of books when you look for top, top books with money tips, but it's actually digestible for a preteen slash teenager. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's curious to me that you're bringing those up when we're talking about training kids. So you're saying those books would be helpful for the kids to read. I'm saying that millionaire next door will help you get your head around some of the things that I think you need to train into your kids. Last week we talked about, you know, my house growing up had a pretty healthy money culture to it. And I think millionaire next door is the best book that kind of captures the money culture that my dad created in my house. Um, okay. And so, uh, he didn't hand it to me to read when I was nine. Uh, but 
he was constantly sort of bringing up the topics in that book and saying, here's what you will see if you listen to just the culture with money. And here's what people who actually know how to handle money do. And it's different. And that's something that's okay. very relevant with a five-year-old. It can also be relevant with a 20-year-old kid. But uh, yeah, that's why I bring that one in. And the other one, yeah, okay. I'd give it to a kid. <laughs> So what was the first thing that you did with your kids to start training them? Um, the first thing that I would say, um, this is just like a really quick, easy, and actually it's super fun way to take some kids and train them with money. Go to the grocery store, especially if you have little kids, and say, here's three bucks you have to spend it here. You give me back anything you don't spend. Three bucks, five bucks, two dollars, whatever. And say, just, I want you to go spend it. Uh, or go to Target and say, I want you to go spend this money right now. Um, and you don't stop them from buying anything stupid. Like, you let them buy whatever the heck they want. Because... I think one of the first things that kids have to learn, and I know we're going to talk about this, is that money is where we actually go out and trade something of value for something. And there's, uh, we, we aren't just given our groceries. We don't just get taken care of by magic from above. So we want to teach a really, really little kid that money is something that has value, but what I love about this, just you are forced to spend exercise, is that they they very frequently, especially with my kids, because we have a range of ages, will get to the checkout. They'll be really excited about whatever they picked out. And, you know, my littlest, I remember her coming back with something that cost $70. And I was like, no, that, that's too much. You can't afford it. And so she'd figure it out. And then afterwards, they'd kind of look at each other. And the oldest one did something like, got a soda and a candy bar and felt pretty happy and the littlest got some tchotchke junk toy and she goes oh i didn't choose very well i don't think i'm enjoying my my purchase as much as you are or vice versa so somebody's right they compare and i think giving them a sense that like you can spend money well or you can spend money poorly it's impossible to tell them that um, yeah and anybody who has a daughter that's like our daughter's age has probably had the experience of going to the to the mall and they want to buy junk jewelry or something like i want to go in clears yeah. and buy they've got all these cool earrings and then they break a, a day later right because right. they're junk and they go wow i saved we'll talk about this later but i saved some money for a month to buy these piece of junk earrings and that wasn't a good choice. So I just like to put them from a very early age. Like you can do this with a three-year-old for sure in a spot where they have to go spend money. And then I just say like, no, I'm not mad at you, but how do you feel about what you bought? Are you really happy? Are you, um, and that's probably my first training exercise when it comes to kids with money is forcing them to spend okay. and just talking through how do you feel about the results of your, your shopping. I got another little uh, thing to do with them, maybe not at three years old, but um, you give your kids in cash, um, not a huge amount of money, but enough. Um, you want it to be a little limiting, say eight, eight bucks and go into the grocery store and say, you're, you'll eat for dinner, whatever you buy. So it's, it's go for it. And then they've got to work with, okay, I got three items I could buy and I can't buy something too expensive, et cetera. It's a very good, very good exercise. And they have that a feeling of agency, which you're describing, which is, uh, this is all mine. I get to make these choices. And as you say, I can, can make a good, a good choice or a bad choice, but I, I think it, it uh, works that same muscle. Yeah. It's funny because when we, when we built our curriculum for the high schoolers, we, one of the things we made them do as we were walking them through building kind of a financial life plan, they came up with a budget. And then in our curriculum, because we knew these kids, they're not going to put enough money in the food budget. Yeah. One of the uh, homework assignments, we put them in teams and said, now go to the grocery store and fill a grocery cart with what you would buy with that 
monthly allotment and see if you're pleased with it and if you could really eat for a month and then the teacher would grade them on their their shopping effort but i think there's a lot of kids who have never had to even think about the fact that you know if we eat uh if we eat strip steak every night that is 20 times the cost of if we eat ground turkey every night right Um, right and some kids you know maybe are are really aware of how much their food costs but in our circles i would say a lot of kids have no clue so just training that muscle of things cost money and there's trade-offs and i have to get good at making those trade-offs if i'm ever going to go beyond just sustenance into building wealth yeah okay what else um well i wanted to talk a little bit about how our kids get a hold of money that they would consider theirs uh, and in our family there's a few ways that that happens so we've talked about it on the podcast before i interviewed my daughter um, i am a believer in at least every summer but i would like to i'm not gonna front here and tell you that i do this all the time but i've been able to do it in the summer times with my older two daughters find a project that i really want done that is big enough that it feels a little bit questionable whether they'll be able to succeed at it and then offer them a fairly good amount of money if they can do it. So we had my daughter strip and paint a shed that was of reasonable size and a painter wanted a thousand bucks to do it. Uh, My daughter did it for $300 and it took her six weeks of working pretty hard (laughs) Um, and it's great. It was great. I, I, I think I told you guys this on the, on the podcast, but she ended up subcontracting some of the stuff she didn't like to do. So there was a lot of sanding and scrapering and she pulled in the cousins and paid them 50 cents an hour and they were delighted. Um, so I was really proud of her resourcefulness there with my younger daughter. You know, we had the neighbor's weeds had crept in under the fence and it was going to be a multi-week effort to pull up all these weeds in a bed. And I said, Oh, you could do that. That would be a summer project for you and I'll pay you. And so I just try to find something that it's not busy work. Um, and it actually, they can look at it when they're done and go, wow, I accomplished something here. Um, yeah. And it's worth money to me. So right. Big projects that are real jobs to be done is one. Um, we just started, and I want to know what you think about this, but we just started two weeks ago with allowance. And I've always been kind of opposed to allowance because I've said you don't get paid to do the things that you do to, to be a productive member of our family. And I still do not think of allowance as chore money. Um, but what I noticed is that it actually started because every morning after my kids went to school, I would walk through the first floor of the house and there would be one or two of the three beds weren't made, uh, or the lights were all on in all the rooms. And I didn't like it when the lights were on all day. So I would go close them or turn, make the bed or turn off the light or I wouldn't make the bed, but I'd be salty about it. And so what I said is I don't want to do that anymore. But I, I'm happy to turn a light switch off as long as I'm getting paid for my time. Uh, so now my daughters each get an allowance and I have a set price list of services that dad offers and they're not voluntary. So if you leave a light on, I charge you 50 cents to turn it off. If you okay. leave a bed unmade, I charge you a dollar and I actually don't make the bed. I charge you a dollar to... Uh, to check that your bed was made. And if it's made, okay. then I don't charge you anything. If it wasn't, you, you make it when you get home. But um, that's been really nice because, you know, we would go buy a coffee shop on the weekend and they'd all say, can we have a chai or something like right. that? And I was like, well, yeah, sometimes dad absolutely wants to buy you a treat, but sometimes I don't. And I like the fact now that they have a little bit of spending money that they can be like me and save it for 10 years and buy something ridiculous or they can be like my wife and enjoy it and go out to a coffee with a friend. Um, so there's some spending money there and they have a sense that, Oh, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do in terms of work, 
then I have to pay someone else to do it, which I kind of like that idea that, yeah, you, you know, we make these trade-offs in our household. Do we want to mow the lawn or do we want to hire someone to mow the lawn? There's nothing morally wrong with either decision, but you don't just assume somebody will mow the lawn for you and it will be free. Um, right. And until I was putting money regularly into my kids' hands, they had no idea that like, there, there was no way for me to say, you chose to have me do that and you're going to pay me. Uh, and so that's kind of what I'm right. trying to teach with, that was the genesis I of think allowance that's good. for us. I think that's good. Well, it's a kind of an, uh, an upside down way of paying for chores, right? What you're doing. Um, yeah, except if you look at the list, if they don't do any of their chores, they end up significantly below the allowance that they get in a week. So right. we have one this week who uh, she's got to kind of buckle down or she's going to owe me money at allowance day instead of uh, that's great getting any. That seems smart. That seems smart. Um, along those lines, I'm going to recommend one more product to you. Um, and it's something that one of the reasons that I like it so much is because it's for kids ages four to six. And I, I was always looking for some, something to insert as early as possible to, to start a framework and a vocabulary for handling money. And this is another Dave, Dave Ramsey product. Um, it's called Financial Peace Junior. I think we've mentioned it we before. Have. Yes. Um, and it has like an, an activity slash lesson book, so parents can talk through lessons in it, and the kids like can color and you know matching and whatever uh, maze. Um, what comes with it is a magnetic. Um, and dry erase chore chart with with dollar amounts that you could connect to anything. And the the basic thing that the little course teaches is is the vocabulary of spend, save, give. That whenever a child has money, it's about spend, save, give. And we have not we still use the chore chart, um, but we haven't referenced that thing in years. And just yesterday. I had a conversation with my oldest about about what do what are my obligations? This is a funny question for an older kid to ask. What are my financial obligations when I'm given a gift card? So for for this kid's birthday, given eighty dollars of of gift cards, and her question is now what do I is that do I just get to spend those and I mean, I, to be consistent, I was like, no, <laughs> no, that's income for you. same as anything else. So you, you have to save and you have to give against that $80. But the point is spend, save and give was established in them so early and they were getting paid actual dollars, um, to do chores so early on that it's become second nature to them. And we've talked, we've talked before and I'm sure we'll talk again about um, the joy of them giving um, out of their own out of their own money, so I recommend Financial Peace Junior as a training module. It's awesome. So tell me, before we started recording, I said that we're doing allowance, and what do you, what do you, are you guys doing any? And you said no. Do you have any strong opinions when it comes to allowance, or just haven't gotten around to it? Well, my strong opinion is, um, uh, yeah, I do have a strong opinion, which is in uh, Rudyard Kipling's famous poem, If, he talked about the day coming when every man is paid to be alive. And what we don't want to do is create some little junior welfare system for our kids so that just by virtue of them being alive, they get money shoved in their pockets. That's not how life works. I don't want that for them. So what you have done is cleverly attached. Look, I want them to have to make decisions with money. I want there to be money in their hands. I'm attaching it to being a contributor in the house, which is what I have done as well. I'm a, and I'm attaching it. So you are just giving them money and dialing it down when they fail, whereas I'm just dialing it up when they succeed. So it, it's... It, 
you know, we could debate about which is better, but they do the same thing. So I guess what I would just say is that I'm against simply giving the kids money for existing. Yeah. Um, that's my only strong opinion. So my my last kind of thought on how to get money into your kids' hands is we, we talk a lot about big goals. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about it's okay for, for kids, especially when they're younger, to use their really stupid, dumb wants to train them with money, okay? So I think sometimes, for me at least, maybe this is just my personality, but my daughter would say, you know what I want, Dad? I want uh, one of those tiny backpacks. And by the way, I thought, no, honey, those were those were popular when I was just a little one. <laughs> Nobody uses those anymore. And then we went to the mall every 16 year old girl at the mall had on the teeny tiny oh, of course i was just kind of blown away at how out of touch i am <laughs> but um <laughs> i think it's okay actually to tell to use that kind of want that i don't think is a great idea along the same lines as i'm not going to correct them in my grocery store exercise from buying something yeah goofy yeah it's okay to use that to say okay let's talk about how you might be able to get your hands on enough money to fund absolutely and i know sometimes i know that they're gonna like i said before save for a little while buy the thing and then go this is this was not a good choice wasn't worth it and i I actually want that experience to happen a few times under my care Amen. before I send her out. But those are like the little kind of maybe less awesome goals that the kids have. But we talk to our kids about the big goals too, from pretty early age. Uh, like you're going to want to be able to drive yourself around and you don't have to own a car, but you might want to own a car and we're not buying you one. Um, and, you know, I think that they are going to be a little weird in that regard because they go to a private yeah. school. There's kids who drive awesome, you know, jacked up sure. Tahoes around and stuff like that. And, sure. Um, but I just said, let's start strategizing early. And we use it at an appropriate time to talk about compound interest. So I'm going to let you talk about a compound interest exercise in a minute that we both do with our kids. But right. if you say, okay, realistically you're going to need at least say eight thousand dollars six thousand dollars to buy a car that dad will say is safe enough for you to drive um let's talk about how much you need to save and how much you need to earn on that money to get there in time and every year you you start early then you can make more and so that is um i think really helpful we've even talked about this isn't one that uh, i am putting the onus on my kids to fund in the same way as a car, but we talk about college and hey, if you decide to go to college, let's talk about some of the options and how they have different financial impacts. Um, we just talk about those big goals and we don't, even from young age, we don't shy away in our home from talking about the financial piece, which I think is not as common to say, well, there's really a big difference between spending $250,000 on an art history degree and <laughs> going to a trade school, uh, you know, and one, one is going to put you in a rough spot financially and the other might put you in a great spot. Um, yeah. you know, so we, we just talk about all those things and don't let our kids assume that the only thing they need to think about is what I really want. I really want to have a cute little, a cute little car and go to this school and study whatever it is that I'm thinking is interesting at that moment. Well, we're going to have conversations with them leading up to those big goal decisions so that they can think about, well, what can I what can I afford? What's going to produce a good return? Not just financially, but in terms of the family life that I want to have. Um, so lots, lots there. But as they think about those big goals, um, like my oldest daughter is thinking, I'm going to have to really turn up the heat on my earnings if I want to get to a car that's not a piece of junk. Because she's, mm-hmm. she's 11, but she's really smart. And she's thinking, well... If I wanted to buy a car when I was 16, I'm going to have to get get busy at this earning thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was came to me after I was talking about some of the 
phenomenal success stories that our clients have had in dog breeding in the time of COVID. And oh. was saying, we have a dog. This dog has not been fixed. And lots of people want dogs like this dog. If I learn to, to breed this dog and I wake up every two hours when this dog's puppies are yipping, would you let me breed this dog? Because I think I could make between ten and $25,000 breeding this dog. And we said... That will be your gross take. We talked through, like, you're going to have to pay a veterinarian and all these things, but we think it's actually a pretty good idea as long as you think that you can actually handle all of it because mom and I not interested in taking care of puppies for six weeks. Yep. Um, and that's the type of thing, it's probably along the lines of the big bigger projects, but it's the type of thing that I don't know if she can do it. Like, I might end up going, crap. I have to take care of these puppies for six weeks. Right. And I will be compensated for that effort. So it's not the end of the world. But that's exactly what I want for my kids is projects that are a little bit too big for them. Because that's the type of jobs you should be taking. If you're going to go take a job as a 25-year-old, you should go try to find a job that you're like, man. I don't know if I can do it. This this might be too big for me. Um, Yeah. That's how you're going to feel when you start a business. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can do it. And so I love it. And, you know, I, I really love her bringing that to us as a proposition, uh, because she was thinking about, well, there's a big goal. It's a financial goal. I need ways to cover it. And she's built like me. So she's a planner and thinking, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, you could work at Chick-fil-A for two summers and probably save up enough. But she's thinking, right. well, I need to, I need to get ready. I need to have that money in the bank. Right, so right. That, That's great. Um, so. Well, I, I think that one, one lesson that's, that comes forward there that I really believe in is teaching um, children about how profit works. We have done on this podcast before I recorded a conversation with me and my daughter when she was doing the craft fair downtown and she learned about profits because she knew how much it took to to buy the stuff necessary she knew how much time she'd spent and then the entry fee etc etc and then she got to keep the rest i think that's a very helpful thing because we our family were business owners and i want i want our children to understand how uh profits work and your your I just want them to know how small business works, which is I, I have to make something that brings value out into the world. The world tells us uh, by voting with dollars, they tell us whether what we're making is of value to the world and that we have to manage all of those those dollars coming in and those dollars going out. And so um, my wife talks to them about, uh, for instance, what a wedding costs to put on and then what she makes uh, on the back end from that. I think that's a very, that's a very valuable lesson. Yeah, that's good. I remember that interview with joy. So we believe in our kids learning about profits. That might sound like a kind of a grown up concept. Uh, a five-year-old's not really ready to learn about profits necessarily. Um, similarly, we want our kids to understand compounding interest And we want them to appreciate how when something sits over time, it builds and it gains momentum. And and if the money is put to work, um, it kind of grows muscles and then it gets to work even harder. Um, You and I were texting this week about a friend of mine who this is like a 20, I don't know, 26, 27 year old that was considering completely blanking, like emptying out um, several thousand dollars of retirement savings to pay for some, I don't know, some something. And you and I were shocked going like, wait, wait, those are very precious dollars. You're very young. You have retirement money. That should, that should stay in that retirement account and it should just grow tax-free forever. Because um, the the concept of compounding interest isn't appreciated by everyone. So one way to do that is that when your children, if you do what we do, I, sh- I didn't say this, I should, I should make this explicit. 
we say that we put things into thirds right now. Now, that's not going to be that way for the, the kid's whole life, but they don't have a lot of spending needs. So we make them give a third of their money away. We make them save a third of their money, and then a third of it is for spending. So we're taking a, a, a significant chunk of their money away from them um, for saving. So I want them to be excited. Uh, as you're saying, uh, you're, you're talking about your oldest daughter thinking through buying a car, and I want them to be excited about that saving money, realizing this is, this is a definition of maturity, by the way. One of the defini- definitions of maturity is that you can put off good now for greater good later. And so I want my children to, to have that feeling that there is great good coming for me because of the saving that I'm doing. So I, I first learned this idea from uh, my friend Adam. And he told me about his kids are a little older than mine. And he was thinking through stuff before I was. And he, what he said was, I make my boys um, give me, for him, it was, I think, 10%. And and I don't know if they call that saving money. They call it investing money. So he said, I, I want them to have early on, I want them to have higher than higher returns than they otherwise would. He said, so I think Adam did something like 12 or 15 percent um, compounded quarterly. He's just going to He's like, I'm going to be saving money for my kids anyways. I just want to pad out their their saving and investment accounts so that they can see them growing. And and he said the effect was they started ta- they started taking their their spending money and putting that into savings because they could see this is this is growing and they had some long term visions about things that they wanted to do. So this has been um, this has been named uh, colloquially the bank of dad, which is if you'll put that money in the bank of dad, it'll really grow for you. And um, it gets kids interested in investing and putting money away. Um, Let's let's pretend the day comes when CDs are a great thing to do again in the future. Well, then we would want them to we would want them to be interested in in those kind of products or, or some, you know, whether it's I don't know, vesting a vesting a security or something like that. Um, we, we want them to to value that if I put something away where even I can't get to it, it, it could grow on its own. So that's just one little idea for for your kids saving or investing money. And in the manual household, what did you say the interest rate is at the bank of dad right now? It's 10 percent. OK. Yeah, we, we have always used 10%, although we're probably going to be switching to the Fed's risk-free rate plus 50 basis points in the future, but <laughs> that's a financial what planner be? joke right now. What, um, what would that be presently? I actually have no idea. Um, <laughs> it would be low. The interest rates are low right, right now. Um, yeah, right. So, cool. So, Bank of Dad, yeah, that's a... I should have, I mean, if you think about the, the money, I told you I paid my daughter 300 bucks uh, to paint the shed. She had to spend some of that on materials and subcontractors, and she, I think, netted about 190 bucks um, once she was done. But she gave some of that, but she put about 150 bucks into the bank of dad. And oh, wow. I was like, you're getting 15 bucks the first year and then more from there. Um, I think her little personal account that she has raised through things like that or um, gifts at Christmas and things like that. She's got $700 now as an 11 year old. Oh, that's great. So that's great. It's meaningful. And I She's always on her way. tell them when I'm making their annual deposit in the bank of dad. Um, that's right. You, you mentioned your chat with Joy. I was going to talk about that, just that we also like to train and encourage entrepreneurship whenever whenever possible. Yeah. Uh, yep. I think we'll be talking about this in a series of episodes, but I'm increasingly convinced that most people should be seeking to own businesses. 
um, whether, whether they have jobs as well or not, like having some stream of income that's a business is increasingly seeming like it's uh it's an important piece of financial Smart. security yeah. in our uncertain times. And so, um, I have had mixed results on this one, Stephen. I, I noticed that every morning trash day is Tuesday in our neighborhood. And every morning you hear the sound of the garbage truck coming up the street and you hear at least two or three of the neighbors dashing out, trying to drag their trash cans to the curb (laughs) in time. And I said, Kyla, there's an opportunity here. You would, it would take you 15 minutes to walk up and down the block and pull everyone's trash cans out. And then the next afternoon, push them back and you could just get a subscription service going. That's recurring revenue. Oh my goodness. That's smart. I thought it was so smart. I couldn't, I couldn't get her to do it. So five bucks, five bucks per household per month. Yeah. And it's no, no per, 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 per week. Oh, that, that sounds high to me, but, um, whatever the price is, I honestly thought it was like a no-brainer. Uh, I have a second daughter that's going to be old That's enough. a really good idea. I have a, uh, a me- middle daughter is, is much more uh, naturally outgoing and might be more likely to knock on strangers' doors and pitch them this idea. So I'm going to try it yeah. again in a couple of years when she's big enough to handle a full, full trash that's can. A, that's great. But this means I am also encouraging my kids when they come with the idea of Hey, our our apple tree's full of apples. Let's go sell them. And I'm thinking that, that's not a good idea. Our apples are kind of small and not very delicious. <laughs> and how much are you going to sell them for? Oh, you know, like two dollars an apple. Okay, go see, go try that. I actually want them to have some business failures. <laughs> uh, yeah. So maybe there's a theme in what I'm saying where I want them to have successes, yes, but I also want them to have lots of failures under my roof where we can talk yeah. about it and digest it together. So in the entrepreneurship game, for me with kids, even if it's the lemonade stand or whatever, it's just like, go out there and try things. And if you yes. want to, um, if you're going to overprice and you ask me, I will I will share my wisdom with you. But if you don't ask me, I'm not going to stop you from from dramatically overpricing your apples or whatever um so anytime i get a chance to do that i'm usually pushing them towards yeah go try to go try to make some money see if it works yep one one last thing from me is that i would share with children when it's appropriate in as much as it comes up i would share budgeting limitations with children so for instance um, we want the we want six pieces of clothing for for back to school, and I would say to them, "Well, we have fifty dollars in the back to school clothing budget, so that's not going to buy you six pieces of clothing." Um, you know, make make a choice here, or it might be a vacation. They, they've got dreams of what vacation. My kids are crazy about going to Israel. They just think they're going to go to Israel as soon as possible. I don't know if anybody will ever be allowed back in Israel, but they need to be shown here's budgeting limitations. We live under the limitations of a budget. And so this is possible. This is not possible. And we have to make choices. Um, That's one of the great things about Lodo Feb is that you're, you know, we show the kids at the beginning of the month, look, we've got three gift cards. One's Skyline Chili, one is Cheesecake Factory, and one's Chipotle. And that's that's our eating out for the month. So, you know, make good decisions because this is what we've got. Um, just, I don't care if you're gazillionaires, you, you're, there should, you should display to your children limitations so that they live inside so that they understand living inside a budget. Yes, I was. I'm glad that you got, you brought it to Lodo Feb because that's my final tool. Lodo Feb trains kids to look in the nooks and crannies of life and see where could we maybe 
get by um, with less, which is a good skill even regardless of the money component. But the other thing that's really helpful about Lodo Feb is at the end of the month, you have usually saved a bunch of money. And our tradition, now that we've paid off all our debt and in a place to be more generous than normal, is to use all of our Lodo Feb savings to just look for ways to bless others that are in our, our yeah world, whether that's individual families or people or charitable organizations or whatever. And it's an awesome time to pull the family vision statement off the wall and say, here's what we've said we're about. We talk about it every week. Part of us using our financial resources in service of this vision is that we're going to think about what could we give to that matches this. And we need you kids to be on the hunt for giving opportunities here. And this is one where I don't let them just totally screw it up. So if they come up with a really uh, idea that doesn't work, I'll say, well, that's probably not it. But, but you'll be amazed, I think, if you ask your kids, like, if your family vision is that we are a family that shows mercy, we are mercy showers, and we, like, take care of the wounded, um, and you really can right. explain that to your kids and then say, now go find, go find us mercy recipients. Um, they will, I, I guarantee you a six year old can go find you some people that could use yeah. financial blessings. Um, and kids, this is like the, the best way that I know to start helping them make the connection between family vision and money is with generosity and Lodo Feb is an excellent way to kind of wrap everything we just talked about together. You've got budgeting, the need to learn how to work with a limited amount of resources, and the truth that when you budget well, you end up with extra. Yeah. And that extra, one of the channels for it is generosity. And generosity should be connected to family vision. So we've really, with one exercise, which is Lodo Feb, we've taken all of these different principles of financial uh, stewardship and put them into an experience Genius. that our kids can enjoy. So I'm a big fan. Genius. Well, you came up with it. So <laughs> if you start sweating a lot and you have a fever, does that mean that your fever is breaking and you're get, you're getting better? I don't know. Do you want me to go get the doctor? I'm hoping for the best. Do you think, do you think that we cured you here on the Abraham's wallet podcast? Yeah, I think that talking about training your children financially has healed me. Nice. Well, yeah. a lot of people start sweating when you talk about budgets, but not for the same reasons. <laughs> That's right. Okay, we did it. We did. See you next time. All right, until next week. Goodbye. Bye.